hello and welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. Uh, I'm Spencer. Uh, J-Dog is here. Hello. And for anyone wondering, uh, Black Girl, the Simbin film, is French New Wave to me, so therefore Simbin counts as French New Wave. No, that's uh, not the way it works. Yeah, it is around <laughs> here. Yeah, so uh, any of his movies. I mean, there's a certain time, right? Right, Finch New Wave is a certain time period, but no, let's. I I want to expand my horizons. That's what we're doing here. Yeah, and also, you know, Black Roll is French New Wave. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel like the guests might agree, but I don't know. Uh, Returning uh, all stars John Arminio and uh, Canada's favorite son, Martin Kessler. Hello. I am a noted expert on French New Wave, so... <laughs> uh, not, not really at all. <laughs> I'll go with whatever opinion you have, Spencer, on whether Simbent's French New Wave or not. Um, I'll uh, go with it. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Martin, what, what's your take on that? Is Black Girl New Wave? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. I'm, I'm easy. <laughs> okay. Any excuse can... to talk about Simbent, so... Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think this what is was the, that. What? Soleil, right? Soleil O. Yeah. I mean, if that's French New Wave, then Black Girl's definitely French New Wave. Yeah, and the Mel, no, the Mel, Melvin Van Peebles, uh, the first one. Pass. Yeah. Yes, that's French New Wave. Yeah, definitely. All right, so yeah, and, this uh, is the fourth, uh, third, fourth Simbin movie we're covering. I can't remember at this point. But um, yeah, this is my personal favorite Simbin. This was one that, when I came across it, is it's on Netflix DVD, uh, 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 if you rent it from there. But besides that, uh, you can find it in places if you know where to look. And if you speak Portuguese or no Portuguese, you can watch the. And stay. Not now. You can watch it on YouTube with Portuguese subtitles. But uh, yeah. So uh, the movie is Camp. Uh, how would you say that? Um, Theroy. Theroy. I think so. That that sounds good to me. I. I mean, is it supposed to be French? Yes, but, but I, I guess I, I think I was trying to listen for it in the movie. I think they say it once. I think they yeah. pronounce, I think they pronounce it Theroye, but I'm I would not uh, bet money on that. Okay. Did I watch the wrong movie? I watched Camp Nowhere with uh, uh, Christopher. Goes to camp. What's his name? Wallace Shawn. Um, Wallace Shawn is he? No, no, never mind. I'm thinking of a different movie. You think of that movie where they get locked in the basement? Yes. Okay. <laughs> sorry. No, don't be sorry. Uh, you, we, we need to tell, we need a little, a little uh, humor. This movie is pretty, pretty grim. Kind of, yeah. kind of like a ruin your day. Like, not like MMR level ruin your day, but it still is yeah. pretty up there with like a ruin your day kind of a movie. Well, I think like the movie is almost in two parts and the first part plays almost like um like a mash kind of a movie where it is it's not exactly like 
lighthearted, but you almost feel like, ah, it's, it's soldiers getting into mischief and it's all in good fun. And that kind of just sets you up for the tragedy that comes in the second part. So yeah. it's, uh, it's not like it, it completely destroys you from the start kind of a movie, but you'll be destroyed by the end. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Armenio, um, what's your history with some Ben slash African cinema in general? Um, I'm, I feel like I'm a novice with African cinema, but for Simben, I've seen uh, Black Girl, Mondabi, and Zala, and I do like those, but yeah, uh, this one is, is my, my favorite. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, what do you think of uh, Zala? Or- um, yeah, I, I thought it was a great, you know, really pointed satire. I, I like that uh, satirized sort of post-colonial Senegalese culture and and sort of the, the remnants of capitalism that was you know still there and the ever presence of like the colonizers even as Africa's gaining its independence and but it did it in a way that's you know accessible to somebody like me uh, hmm. so yeah it was it was enjoyable yeah Okay. Yeah, I feel like uh, Mandabi is like kind of the forerunner to Zala. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, uh, Jade Dog, this is your third Simben because I don't. I think you might have the fo- copy of Zala that I have, but I think I sent it to you. Can't remember. I think that's probably true because I definitely saw the beginning of Zala and then whatever life event happened. Yeah, I've seen the uh, the black girl Mandabi. This one, now. Okay. Uh, what do you What do you think of this one? Um, I thought it was really good. I'm like, I don't know what to expect whenever, and uh, whatever movie we're gonna watch, and mm-hmm. I purposely don't look into what's going on, but I knew. Um, that Simbene. Right? I say I say Simbin. That's how I've heard it. Simbin. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah that, that there's a documentary that came out about Simbin. him a couple of years ago, and that because I, I made the same mistake of saying Simbene, but I think I was wrong. So Simbene, yeah. yeah. I think is how they pronounce it. it. More the, there French. is like an underground cameo in Kempty Theoroye, they during the yeah. roll call they say Semben. So I was like, oh, that is how you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I figured that was probably his voice because the answer comes from off screen. I'm like, yeah. that's probably his little cameo. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed it wasn't his typical guy with the guy with the pipe. It would have been nice just to cut away to him there. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been in Somebody smokes a pipe. Hmm? You put plenty of pipes in there, though, because I know couple of people are smoking pipes in the movie i think yeah but it, but in other ones you always you can tell it's him because like it's a kind of cool guy who's smoking a pipe in, the, in that one part yeah uh anyway this movie has the same kind of like dark humor that goes on in black girl and mandavi you know some of the things some of the things are too dark to be funny and like just like the kind of in-your-face racism that can only be told from the side of the people who are experiencing it. Like, like I could see why this movie was banned in France for a while. Like, this is just, like, in-your-face. Like, it doesn't matter if 
uh, they got rid of their slaves way before the U.S. It doesn't stop racism from being a thing, you know? Yeah, and I also saw it as a real um, excoriation of military culture. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, the French army has a long history of atrocities that it's perpetrated onto its own soldiers. So, uh, you know, I'm assuming we've all seen uh, Paths of Glory, but, you know, there's also the Dreyfus Affair. And and um, at least 650 soldiers were executed for cowardice in World War One by the French army. Um, so they're real quick to put their own to the sword as much as they like to, you know, celebrate their own patriotism. And I thought that some of the scenes where the officers sort of ostracized the Captain Raymond were, you know, very pointed and, and extremely well done. Because uh, yeah. Raymond um, strikes me as, like, like, very much a career soldier, even though that uh, the asshole captain says he's not. Like, he strikes me as somebody who probably got a battlefield commission. Um, and, of course, when he's speaking up for his own soldiers, they accuse him of being a communist behind his back. Uh, so so that, that kind of uh, commentary uh, really hit home with me. He's maybe the more... Like, out of all the officers, he's kind of the reasonable one who's trying to mitigate the situation and realizes that, yeah, these soldiers are being mistreated. But also, like, I thought it was interesting. There's that scene with um, the captain speaking with the uh, Sarge uh, Dieta, and he's sort of, like, one of the recurring phrases throughout the movie is kif uh, kif, like saying somebody's the same as somebody else. And it's sort of exploring these different divisions or delineations in culture. And, like, mm-hmm when Sarge is saying, like, ah, French are really no different than the Nazis, and, like, Captain Raymond's like, whoa, whoa, like, don't go that far, and, you know, by the end, I feel like it kind of, what the film is saying is that, like, yeah, you know, the French would readily kill their own uh, citizens, basically, or people that they marginalize just to get out of paying them, like, that. that is no different than what the Nazis were doing during the war, and I feel like, like, on one hand, Raymond, Captain Raymond, he's, like, you sort of like him more because he's trying to say, like, hey, we can't treat these soldiers this way and can't be racist like this, and he's trying to explain their situation to the higher command, but, like, at the end of the day, he, he still sort of has more faith in the French military as an institution, I think it really warrants or that this film kind of argues that it warrants, you know? Yeah. There's, I think the film does a really good job of portraying how colonialism puts such a barrier to social mobility. So, you know, as much as, uh, Diada is educated in France and as much as empathy Captain Raymond has for him and the rest of the soldiers, there's still this barrier where he can't see that Raymond can't see the villainy of the French army and the fact that Diada spent time in France, has a French wife, puts a barrier between him and the rest of, of his men who now see him as sort of a, a traitor. Like, you know, how could you be with, you know, a French person who, you know, the same French people who are, you know, not paying us or taking advantage of us or enslaving us. Um, so yeah, colonization the- is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I found the uh, the thing that Layla sent me uh, a 
actually, actually over a year ago at this point. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, kind of uh, shorten it. The French army would send helicopters to fly over his set to disrupt, disrupt filming and, and intimidate him. So he had a complicated relationship with France. Much of the money for the making of his films came from there. But France was giving money to French-speaking countries to promote their cultural policy. And Camp de Theroy was at odds with that. And that's from an interview Leila Teef did with uh, Simbin's biographer, uh, Samba uh, Gajijo. Who I think is, uh, I don't know if that's the person in the documentary, because person in the documentary was his friend. Yes, it is. It, okay, it was the same person who did a doc, who did a doc on him. Gachiko, Samba Gachiko. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yes, yeah, so uh. Uh, who wants to describe what the movie is? I think maybe uh, John, because I don't think he's been on for an African film yet. So, uh, how do you describe what this movie is? Um, so during the later stages of World War II, a group of Senegalese soldiers who have been all over the European theater are sent to the titular camp where they are to be paid and then sort of dispersed to their hometowns in Senegal. Um, and there are some shenanigans that go on while they're there, uh, but the main thrust of the plot begins when they realize they're going to be paid half of what they're owed. Which is already half of basically what uh, a French soldier would be paid to yeah. be with, I think. Yeah, and without like any sort of extra bonuses or allowances that... The, the that white French soldiers would be paid, and and then they begin to protest and eventually kidnap a general to try and get their uh, what is owed to them. I mean that's one of the most tense scenes of the film when they have the general captured and they have that kind of stare off and it's so cold hearted the way the general is basically like yeah, okay, I'm going to pay you, you have my word of honor, and gets them all cheering and clapping, and and he's just lying through his teeth. He, mm-hmm. he basically takes off, he uses, I'm going to pay you as an excuse to get out of the situation, and then sends the tanks to just murder everybody. Yeah. yeah uh, one a little detail that I'm curious, uh, John, with you, is that uh, Diada is Catholic, and they bring up that Mm-hmm. Uh, besides being educated in France and having a French, a wh- uh, French white woman as a wife, he's also a Catholic. Yeah, that's a huge, um, like cultural breach. I think yeah, because right now Senegal is over fifty percent, over ninety percent Muslim. So for him to go to France, get educated, get a white wife, and convert, like he is as Frenchified as an African can get. And so I think, you know, that's, you know, a lot of the source of consternation between him and and the men who are even hesitant to appoint him as a go-between uh, between him and, between them and the officers because they see him as so much as a part of France. But I think for him, um, we, we don't really get... 
much of his inner life because he finds out that his like entire village, including his parents, has been slaughtered by French soldiers. Um, but we don't really see him grieving that much. So yeah. I, I would be curious as to see how his Catholicism would be reflected in that grieving process for his parents, though. But but I think There's he... that one he, scene... Uh, oh, sorry. No, I, but I think he takes his Catholicism seriously because he refuses to take a second wife. That, that seems actually kind of funny when it's like, hey, we found a wife for you. He's like, I already have a wife. They're like, you can have two. That's fine. Yeah. He's like, I'm yeah. Catholic. They're yeah. like, yeah, what, what's wrong with that? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I don't know what Orson Ben's uh, opinion of like polygamy was exactly because it does come up in a lot of his movies. Yeah, I, I, it's, it, seems. it doesn't I mean, come I, off I well like, in Zala. Like Zala is, is kind of his, <laughs> that's yeah. his opinion on polygamy. <laughs> But then uh, Madabi, it's just it's just treated like very matter of fact. Like he has two wives, and then it's yeah. that, and, and that's it. But even that, I, I feel like there's some satirical element in Madabi where it's like they can kind of gang up on him. Like it, it does kind of <laughs> make fun of this idea of like uh, you know having two wives, being in a polygamous relationship. I think like if if not like openly critical, at least in Madabi, it's like this is good for getting laughs out of it. Or yeah. This is good of like, this is good for putting this character into even more of a corner. I, I feel like it's kind of how he views it in that film. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, I think part of why this is my favorite Simbin is that it's such an outlier compared to everything else. Because mm-hmm. this is maybe the only one that's not centered around women or have like strong women like throughout it like you get some but uh it's not like as like like i've said this before like i don't know if if you can call this movie's feminist but he definitely cares about a woman's point of view on things in this okay. one you get a little bit of that but not nearly as much compared to like the other like some, some of them like mulade is definitely I would say a feminist film and I think like you said others definitely have those themes you could be lumped into that um, this one yeah definitely feels a little bit apart from the rest of his filmography and it's interesting that it's about like a historic event and trying to represent that and that feels a little bit different than some of his other films which are more coming from his imagination and his way of kind of commenting on on society in his own way this feels much more direct in a way it's also a film that uh, it's a pretty long film it, it's uh two and a half hours ish i think mm-hmm. but it feels so straightforward there's this kind of one event leads to another it, you know it's that kind of snowball effect where things just kind of get worse and worse until it all comes to a head at the very end of the film but like it feels like there's such a clear kind of progression of events um i mean i guess you can say that about some of the other ones but like mulade it's almost more like you know there's a clear path and the character just gets more and more sidelined from it or you know i i feel like there's something about this film that is so straightforward in its progression that it, it makes it feel also a little bit different than the others yeah uh, i want to tell that we should mention that it was co-directed by uh uh, Theon, uh, 
Thayer, I think, maybe Thayerno Fatty Soy or Sao. Uh, and I believe it's only it's the only one that's code he, he had co-directed with someone. You're the only one I know of. I get. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this, but as far as basing it off of his a historical event, it it still felt very allegorical to me. Um, you know, because there are characters who are named like Congo and Ivory Coast. Yeah. Um, and when Diada lists all the things that this regiment has done, like it's it's impossible. Like they were in North Africa and Italy and France, and they were also in Buchenwald for three years. So like, it's it's impossible for them to have literally done all those things. But I think there were Senegalese soldiers who were in all those places. So rather than representing individual people, you know, the the people of the camp sort of represent the Senegalese ex- experience in World War Two. D- does that track with you guys? That's interesting. I wonder. Like I thought, I, I read you know, even though there's Senegalese, like I thought some of the soldiers were from other places. Yeah. Like you know that they might have been grouped together because they have pretty some of them seem to have pretty disparate backgrounds and like you see some of the situations that they're in throughout the film where like they'll group up and there seems to be different groups within the camp based on where these guys might have come from I think like there's different languages being spoken based on just how they try to translate for each other yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know I, you I see different religions represented like uh, some are Muslim some aren't um, so I, I thought like even if they're all from Senegal, like I thought, at least you know they seem to be from like very different places, and I don't know if necessarily the platoon itself uh, would have gone to all those places, but maybe some of those soldiers at like one time or another had been here and there and everywhere. Yeah. I again, like it's hard to find real information about the historical event because you know this is something that was embarrassing for French history and was sort of suppressed and it seems like it's kind of hard to find clear information about it because of that yeah like I, I read it as like they were from there and it, it represents like the the is Francophone the right word like the French the areas where the French conquered yeah I mean like there's definitely I mean those are French colonies but like I, I thought you know it's like when you watch an American war movie and it's like hey Brooklyn you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those kinds yeah. of nicknames, but yeah. Uh, okay, Joel. Um, uh, what? Uh, what do you think of this movie? Like, what? Um, what? 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 Uh, do you have strong thoughts on with this? Well, it seems like I. I think the most notable thing is like how rowdy everybody is coming back from, you know, Europe and whatever happened over there compared to all the soldiers who have probably still been able to remain in Africa, you know, the guards Mm -hmm. in that case. And, like, this difference in attitude where... I don't know, you can almost imagine what they had to go... You know, what, what was going on in the war and why their attitudes are like, we just want to go home, we want to be paid what we were supposed to be paid and go home or whatever. And, like, the mess scene, right, where they're first getting 
uh, <laughs> food and the chef's like mm-hmm. making a feast for him, which is funny. Not chef, the cook. Mm-hmm. By the way, they showed the cook like at the you know at the end of the movie when people are getting on the ship and we're seeing mm-hmm. images of the people who died. One of them is the cook. I'm like, wait, maybe he ran away. No, he didn't. Uh, well, that's true. But why would he still be there? I mean, <laughs> anyways, because because I knew he wasn't one of the leaders who was you know the leaders of the people who are fighting back. Right, that's what I'm saying. Why oh. they showed his image, and those were like the people who had passed away. Oh. I, I assumed, you know, because it shows uh, uh, oh, our oh, yeah. basically the main character. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone looked like him was on the boat. It was probably just like a good photo. Yeah, I'm just being nitpicky. I mean, things that really stood out. The, the funny thing is the movie kind of goes exactly how you assume it's going to go with probably the exception of taking the general hostage because <laughs> uh, it's like we don't we don't arm our guards here we don't, we're not wasting bullets on the chance that one of them's going to do something what did they expect was going to happen just because somebody who is of quote unquote highest authority comes and tells them exactly what they told them in the first place to get this whole rebellion sort of thing going on like you can't respect a man's rank when he doesn't see another man that he's commanding right these aren't mm-hmm. men to them they're n-words or worse yeah like it comes to the it comes to the head like with the whole brothel sequence that <laughs> cock hardy which I, I love just how like how like a uh, not gross, but how juvenile that is in this movie. <laughs> I mean, but, one, uh, one thing that's funny about the brothel scene is like they're happy to have him until they realize he's not American. Yeah, yeah, and the implication with the translation there being like, like no, no niggers here, and it's like, oh wait, so black Americans are just Americans. Interesting. Like that's the implication being made, at least with the translation. Again, it's it's the like kif kif. It's the the delineations, like um, you know. So you have delineations of race, but there's also delineations of nationality. Like you know, at first when there's, it, it turns into an almost like oh, it's us versus the Americans kind of a thing where they kidnap the American and they're like, well, we'll, we'll release him when they release our guy, and they're trying to explain like you know, you guys don't know what you're messing with they're like no you know we're we're the same you release our sergeant we'll release the american and then later on started just talking to the american guy who beat him up and they're both black and they're kind of relating on that level and the guy calls him brother and it's like you know you also have these delineations of culture but you have delineations of okay we're regular soldiers and the officers are above us like you know there are all these kinds of splits in the movie and it's sort of trying to say where where we are the same and where we are treated as different because it's like on multiple levels i think the film shows sort of a prejudice against these soldiers it's not just racial it's not even just uh, colonial like there's sort of a there's a military prejudice there's a national prejudice like there's all kinds of things working against these people who were veterans you know they fought bravely against nazism and had to come back to this you know so it's yeah 
it's my, part of the tragedy of it yeah. yeah my favorite moment in the whole movie is just the scene with the, with the black american when they when he's like yeah that guy hates blacks he's he sucks and then it's just this nice little moment of like okay like the, the, they understand each other it is like, interesting like, though because that soldier like there are racial epithets used in the movie but that soldier who was beat up by these guys and held prisoner for overnight never uses them so i oh, yeah, that's tweet. i thought that was a conscious yeah. choice to never show him using any racial epithets the next day, actually, he's like, "Yeah, no, they treated me fine. Yeah, like yeah. He, he doesn't even seem that broken up. It, like to me, it almost felt like, like I don't know, you know, when you hear, you hear about like old timey college shenanigans where it's like, oh, they kidnapped the mascot pig from the other. Like it almost felt like that kind of a thing where it's a prank. Like to, to you know, it's a prank. It's it's like you know, to the higher ups, it might look serious, but like to a regular soldier, they understood. It's like fairly." Yeah. harmless even though somebody does get beat up over it or two people get beat up over it it's like it, it's like it's like the dirty dozen how the first part of the movie is like a, a slob of snobs like uh, yeah. animal house comedy yeah but then the second right. half is like shit gets real yeah yeah but about uh sergeant diad is when he's first beat up uh by the mps um my brother was an enlisted uh petty officer in in the navy for seven years and he his words MPs are just cops and they're just waiting for a reason to give you a ticket for going 27 and 25 um Mm. so the idea that they would just stop a random soldier and beat the crap out of him for not wearing his uniform correctly that is on point they an MP would definitely do that Dressed like an American, and yeah, he's speaking French. Yeah, yeah like, so they initially uh, stop Diada because uh, all the Senegalese were initially given American, like excess American uniforms. Yeah, like handy-down yeah. uniforms. So they're without insignia or rank or name tag or anything. So when they're in town, uh, the other American soldiers and prostitutes, merchants, whatever, think they're American. But when an I, I like that Sergeant Diada makes a point to put on the sunglasses, like that's the touch. To yeah, <laughs> passes an American. Yeah. So when an MP sees this guy in an American uniform without any insignia, he thinks he's somebody who stole that uniform because none of the Americans know uh, that the these the Senegalese guys run around with hand-me-down uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, and like, and like this whole, like, uh, like uh, uh, I've said that before, but I don't know like film theory stuff. But like, just the theme of uniforms and hats and like what you wear is is such yeah. a strong theme in this movie, mm-hmm. in a way that I can't really put into words. Still, I, I feel like I need to do more research into it. But there definitely is like a like symbolism or commentary just with like uniforms and hats. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a big motif in the film. Like, you have the general's cap. Like, it's a big moment when he kind of gets that return to him. Um, there's the soldier who has some kind of severe post-traumatic stress where he's unable to speak, and when he's distressed, he grabs this German helmet, um, captured German helmet that he'll wear, and he like he's very upset when they try to take that away from him. Um, there's the moment where 
they're getting the new uniforms and Sergeant uh, Diada doesn't get the right hat for his rank and they're, you know, the people giving out the uniforms basically say like, ah, we don't care, just take what we're giving you. So like, the, I, I think it is like a major motif in the film that, you know, how you tell somebody who, uh, how you tell who somebody is is from their hat wear, maybe <laughs> something like this. Yeah. I don't know. And when officer, when Captain Raymond goes into the officer's mess, he's always in his regular uniform. But when all the other officers go in in there, they're always in their dress whites. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think that's just one of the many signifiers that he's much more blue collar or working class than, than the rest of the officers. Yeah, and uh, it is important to remember Simbin, uh was a veteran himself. Uh. He, uh, yeah, he fought in World War Two. Uh, yeah, so like this would have been, I'm sure on some level, autobiographical to his own experience dealing with, you know, like the French military during the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like the things that uh, Captain LeBruce says feel like they were probably said to or around the people writing this movie. Like, like oh, they're they're just Africans. They they're they what what will they use the money for anyway? Yeah, yeah, line their huts. Come yeah. on. And I mean, we talked about the um, cameo of putting his name in there, but it you know mm-hmm. it does feel like that idea of, hey, I could have been in this situation. Like, this easily could have been me who was caught up in this massacre, you know, and putting himself in those those shoes, you know. Yeah. And like, uh, like one of my favorite characters in the movie is uh, uh, Pei, or Pace. Uh, I forgot how to say it. It's, it's a, I think it's a French word for nation. I mean, it is a French word for nation. I'm not sure if that's what it's supposed to be in the movie the one with the Nazi helmet. Yeah. Right. And just yeah. like the moment he, he was on screen, like I, it just makes me immensely sad. Cause like, yeah. you, you know, everything you need to know just by looking at him. It's a really powerful performance. And like, I, I get in the scene where he's having that kind of stare down with the generals, maybe my favorite moment in the film. And you get some really heartbreaking moments like, um, the night, after they've let the general go and everybody thinks that they're going to get paid, he's the one who kind of stays up on lookout and he sees these uh, French tanks or armored vehicles coming in and he's trying to warn everybody and he can't really, he, he just can't speak and he's trying to explain it in his own way and using the helmet. They're, they think he's having some kind of a flashback that the Germans are surrounding them and they're ignoring him, and it's, like, heartbreaking to watch him try to warn these people, and he, he just can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's a good bellwether for the tone of the film, because in the very beginning, he, there's this really powerful moment where he stares the barbed wire at that's surrounding this camp, and he's having clearly another flashback to his experience in a concentration camp. And even though there's a lot of comedic moments between that scene and the end it's sort of like well we're in for some real shit in in this movie yeah yeah and like I, I like the beginning's really interesting cuz like 
one of the first moments you have is one of the funniest moments of the movie where Captain Raymond is talking to um, Diada's family and he wants to shake their hands but they refuse to acknowledge him <laughs> but then like not too long after that you get um, the, the the you know a, a pay a pace who you know who um you know who, who was in a concentration camp so it's like this this very interesting way of like setting the tone where it's like yeah there's gonna be like it's you know like Charlie said like it's darkly funny yeah like but but there's also like the real tragedy of like well this is just the reality of of life for them because yeah, I mean I mean that, well they you know that those those family members turned their back on the on Raymond because you know the last French soldiers they saw like murdered yeah murdered people in their village yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but that's still, what, exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, but I still think it is think it is funny that like they just refuse. Like, it, I don't know. I, to me, it's funny. It it is funny. Yeah. <gasps> so it's a, a credit to, to send them to to get a funny <laughs> moment out of these tragedies. All right. Uh. Uh, uh, the, Martin, is there anything that really stuck out to you that you want to really talk about? Uh, like any moments or any, any particular scenes you mean? Or Yeah. Um, I mean, one really powerful scene, it's uh, when they find out that they're going to get basically stiffed, and you have the one actor, the guy with the beard, I forget the character's name, but when he's just you see him at that breaking point it's really like it's hard to watch just because of how emotional he gets and like the performance is really powerful there um and just like that general he's so cold like when he's walking away from the camp after and you know that it's going to end with him ordering basically the massacre of, of all these people but he's still kind of playing up like he's enjoying the applause of these people like celebrating him and I don't know I, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's really emotional actually like it's like it, the it's score, pretty heart wrenching yeah. yeah like the, the harmonica score is really gut wrenching to mm-hmm. me yeah you know especially when it's revealed that it's one of the soldiers who did the entire yes. soundtrack, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I also, like, I mean, what did you think of the um, celebration scene that kind of comes after where they're just so happy that they're going to get, you know, 50% uh, of a of, uh, franc instead of, you know, 25% of a franc, and, like, everyone's just so happy, and, like, I mean, that's part of the reason why I think, like, everyone's so dead tired. It's explained when the armored vehicles show up. is just they've been dancing and celebrating all night, and, like, nobody wants to get up and hear that, like, hey, we're getting surrounded. But, you know, like, you see the the joy coming from these soldiers who have just been through so much, and it feels like they're kind of finally at the end of, of this long journey, and they're about to get paid, and they can go home and, like... Yeah. 
you know, it, it's like end of the finish line, you know, when this horrible thing comes and kills a whole bunch of them. Yeah, it's it's just like a sadder version of uh, Rambo, you know, fought that war, comes back. Now he has to get hunted by sheriffs. No, I don't know what I was going with there. But, well, I mean, like, even, you know. even calling this a war film, like, it's set during the war period, but it's like... Um, you know, it's more like a, I don't know what, uh, it almost feels like a prison film at times. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking brute yeah. force, and, you know, especially when they rise up and grab the general, like, feels like, you know, a scene out of a prison movie or something like that, where they're revolting. Like, it's, uh, you know, it, it makes sense to call this a war film, uh, because you're dealing with military men, but it's almost more like a, I guess that's what I was thinking of, like a prison film or an internment film. Um hmm. I don't know if you yeah. felt the the same way, but like, you know, it would I mean, make sense to watch this with something like The Great Escape, maybe, or I, I don't know what. Like, it, it's a little bit closer oh, to yeah. that than like, yeah. you know, or a like, combat film or like Seven Beauties, maybe, because yeah. of the mix of like yeah. the dark humor and like the 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 darkness of like, uh, you know, uh, prison camps. I mean, there's a couple moments that like they're they're funny and they're so dark at the same time, like. Um, I mean, that, that moment I was talking about when the speech is being given, I think it's uh, when um, Sarge kind of takes over and he's, like, trying to explain, like, all the places that these soldiers have been to. And he, he's just, like, desperately trying to get pay for these soldiers. And you have the French officers, and one just writes in big lettering, communist, and communist. passes it along. Yeah. And, like, they're just kind of nodding. And, like, you realize at the point they're not even listening to what he's saying. They're just, like already made up their minds about oh he's a troublemaker and we're gonna have to take care of this yeah yeah and like uh, that reminds me of like uh rrr in some regards because the one character is a cop who's trying to like you know uh, be a mole well, who cares if it's a spoiler it, it there's more to movie than, than that but uh like but, but but you know there's a part in, in the beginning where it's like he doesn't get the promotion because he's indian and this has a similar vibe of like, yeah, like he's he's a he's a good one, but he still is, you know, he's still not white. Yeah. You know, th- this is part of my, like, it, it's sometimes like hard for me to just understand a lot of post-colonial literature and post-colonial stories because, you know, in fiction, you know, like general basic ass rules are you have to establish motivation for your protagonist and your antagonist so that you can understand the conflict but like especially post world war 2 like what the fuck is france doing like what are they doing in vietnam what are they doing in algeria what are they doing in senegal like they yep. spent 5 years under the boot of fascism and they're like oh okay well now it's back to being an empire like like i i don't understand i i can't comprehend the mental space required to to like to do this it's so insane well they they have to prove to the world they are they are, are a mighty military i guess it's so well, even like ugh. i think like lo- looking at that captain raymond character if you watch the film like at first glance he's the only white officer that seems like remotely reasonable but like, also at the same time, he's like, "We're not like the Nazis. We're the good guys, right?" Like, <laughs> you know, I feel like there's sort of a blind spot there, which lets you 
go down this path which leads to like if you think you're righteous like if you're really in that headspace of like oh whatever i'm doing is righteous like that usually ends up having like some horrific genocidal consequences you know like that's that's history i mean you know the, the whole like pretext of like oh we're going to bring civilization to people and all of this stuff like it's it's a way of you know trying to justify to themselves doing this thing which is completely harmful and destructive and i don't know it's it's a big complicated issue i know but it's it's also like you said like what the fuck were they thinking <laughs> um yeah. and then like the the decolonialization period like you know, not to get like too far off topic but it's also like you you can almost feel like that the france's petulant child like well if you don't want us fine you're like <laughs> you know and then being so kind of uh spiteful with some of these colonies and the kind of ways in which um you know, decolonization was done in a way that might be considered irresponsible or harmful to these countries also. Like, I mean, uh, like look at, uh, Zala that, that shows like, even though they left it, they never, they never left. And it's just yeah. as complex and ugly. And, you know, it, if, if things are still bad. And, uh, like even like, we've talked about actually on on uh when we talked about a screaming man on your old show like now china is doing the colonizing in africa mm-hmm. and that's, bec- that's a huge issue that like i've seen some african films they can reference it here and there but i've never yeah. seen one like directly attack it yet because i feel like that's a little too dangerous because they hold the all the all the financial power or a lot of financial power like co- across the whole continent the, the only one I've seen that really... I mean, it's it's on an African film. It's by, a, I think, a Belgian filmmaker. But that documentary, Empire of Dust, which is sort of specifically about, like, the Chinese uh, neo-colonial kind of influence in the Congo, specifically in that movie. But it, it is, like, hinted at when you watch uh, Screaming Man and a couple others. Yeah, there's a recent Netflix one that... Um Blitz Ambassador uh, directed. What there's also, I mean, there's Chinese films now that are set in Africa. What was, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the title, but there was like a big Chinese film that was all basically about this uh, this action movie, which has this like underlying subtext of like, you know, we're doing good stuff in Africa. Hmm. I'd have to Google it, but <laughs> it came out like maybe like two, three years ago. Um, oh. Was it, was it called Shh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of the movie uh, The Burial of Kojo. It's on Netflix. Right. And that has some Chinese. I remember when we covered it last season, Joel, uh, you didn't. Uh, you, you were like, why are there Chinese people in the movie? And, and I was like, oh, yeah, because they're kind of colonizing Ghana and, and shit. That's why they're there. But they can't really outright talk about it. Yeah, I, I I recall being upset by learning that. Yeah, and uh, Blitz Ambassador's doing the adaptation of The Color Purple next year. He directed, he's a rapper too, and he did some Beyonce thing on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, the I, Disney Plus Beyonce thing. Yeah, yeah. He did a segment in it. He's an interesting guy. I... I 
I think I can't say this. It's fine. I tried to get in contact with him to do an interview last season, and uh, his manager never responded. So that happens a lot. Maybe yeah. worse. Yeah. But I guess if if China's already censoring messaging about what they're doing in Africa, and they're also censoring what filmmakers are doing in their own country, and they're and they're certainly censoring what's coming into their country from foreign places, it doesn't really bode well for you know, the future. Yeah. I'm not trying to make just like a boomer anti-China thing, but China's no, kind of... Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because, well, cause, you know, if if this movie and the events in this movie aren't well known because of the, you know, free speech <laughs> uh, suppression of both the historical events and the artistic representation of it, you know, there's not much hope for um, what China's doing certainly being being known throughout the world at least I mean a lot of countries have these suppressed yeah. histories it's always kind of interesting to see film try to shine a light on that like I mean certainly you know America yeah. has yeah. events in its history that it's like oh we don't really want to talk about that you know like that that's I, I think a lot of big countries have those things that Oh, we don't yeah. talk about that. But. Yeah, I'd love to see like a Canadian film by an in- indigenous person about the horrible shit. Yeah, I feel like it would probably be allowed in Canada. I, I'd hope so at least. I, I would hope so. I mean, I feel like a lot of that stuff. It's uh, some of it's only become public knowledge like fairly recently. But uh, I, I don't know if people are going to try to tackle that with. Uh, film or not um, do you, any of you guys know um the comic book slash album secret path no um, i, I haven't um, read it yeah so it's it's not by a native creator but um gore downey um this is what so this is like the most depressing thing that i've ever encountered um gore downey this is the, one of the last things he did before he died of cancer um collaborated with jeff lemire the comic book artist to create a graphic novel slash mm album about a native boy who's transported to a native school in Canada um, is physically and sexually assaulted um, escapes and tries to walk back to his reservation and freezes to death along the way oh, yeah. so it, it's, it's awful um, but it's yeah. the graphic novel is incredibly beautiful as well so I really and for a while the that graphic novel was translated into a music video form that was available for free on YouTube. So if you just search for secret, if you want to feel sad for a good 24 hours. I know. Once you start reading about the residential yeah. school stuff, it's yeah. like, a, it's incredibly horrible yeah. and depressing. And like some of it, that stuff, it's, it's only just gotten, it's good that more and more of that's become exposed and brought to light, yeah. but it's it's incredibly upsetting to read about, like and and you know schools with like hundreds of children's bodies buried on the property and stuff and like that. Full or, credit to my history teachers, um, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where I live, is the location of the most infamous uh, native school in America, the Carlisle Indian School. Um, so all of my teachers throughout my childhood were very cognizant of making it known that hey right down the road there is a war crime uh so please be aware of that so so at at least Hmm. when i was growing up 
there was no whitewashing of of that aspect of our history. It's important to know. Yeah. Like I think. Yeah, yeah. Like on yeah. a similar note, the high school I went to, the first high school I went to, that was the worst year of my life, was one of the first schools in the state to. Um, I think me was the first school in the state to um, integrate. But uh, I think it was just PR. Honestly, it's a private Catholic school, mm. so I, I think if they, they're just trying to like appear better than they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, part of the Brown versus Board case because that was multiple states. Part of that was De- a Delaware school. I can't remember which one. I just know like there was a case in Delaware that was kind of wrapped up into Brown versus Board. I, I lived in an egg until recently, so I don't know what's going on around me. You're, you're in Utah now. Nothing weird happened there or bad happened. Oh, yeah. There. No, no. I definitely haven't already seen a history museum about the natives who used to live here or, or part of it. Part, a very small part of a history museum that had something about that. Yeah. But, uh, like, returning to some Ben, like, one of the things I love about his movies is just how simple and direct where like uh, I talked about some of the Black Girl episode but um, like how in this movie you simply see racism up, uh, like up front and it's not stylized it's not played up or played down just like this is just what what it was where like compare like compares to like Django Unchained where it's like yeah, you know, every, you know who the racists are because they say the N-word the most. And it's like, well, that's a very 13-year-old way to mm-hmm. look at it. Like, this is just a straightforward, simple way of, like, you know, uh, you know, this is just what it is. You don't need to, like, be an edgelord about it. You can just, you know, show actual history. Can I be an edgelord about it? Yeah, you can. If oh, okay. If you like Django Unchained, anyone, it's fine. I don't anymore. Well, I don't. But yeah, I, I didn't like it in the theater. But that was more of a, I don't know. It's I, for I, me. I didn't like it. It's it's age like milk for me. Mmm, delicious curdled milk. Yeah, same with hateful like that aged like like milk really. That one bad. aged immediately. <laughs> I love that movie. You guys are crazy. Okay. No, you're fine. It's, uh, it's hard to know sometimes how to deal with tragedies mm, on yeah. film. It's like big kind of historical, um, not just tragedies, atrocities is the, the word I'm looking for. Like, it, it's a sensitive topic. And I think like, to some men's credit, like I think this film deals with this atrocity in a way that feels very direct and heartfelt and, you know, also puts a light on it in a way that like I wouldn't have necessarily known about this massacre if it wasn't for this film yeah, that's how I learned about the massacre because like I, I was like this something movie I hadn't seen was like wait this is fucking real yeah. Jesus Christ yeah, yeah and I, I did see a clip of Simbin sort of giving a lecture to some students where he talks about how he regards his cinema as his activism and that it's the most efficient way or effective way of sort of communicating his political ideas 
because cinema is the most accessible art form. And even, even if he prefers literature, it's sort of like a, a privilege to be able to absorb literature. But, you know, you can put anybody in the theater and they can sort of absorb yep. the story. So, yeah, I, so that, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, like... Uh, Good point. Yeah. It was it, 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 shocking to no one uh, if you didn't know Simbin was a communist. Uh it, it it shows up in all his movies. This like, uh, and uh, no no comment on that. Just like, I, I just appreciate like good leftist film like filmmakers, and he's able to like be humanistic and show like yeah, it's it's a comp. It's you know, yeah. This is just what it is. And we get get some glimpses of what would plague the West for, throughout the post war years where. You know, they find books in, just regular old books in Diada's room, and they're like, well, he's an intellectual, and therefore he's a communist, and therefore yeah. he's going to rebel <laughs> against us. So they're, they're inventing reasons to call him a communist just so they can, you know, mess up his room and, you know, later murder him. I mean, I was watching um, The Act of Killing a mm. uh, couple weeks ago again, and, like, that film's... It, it digs into how Indonesia it was it was similar where it's like you know the people being killed they weren't even like real communists it was just like anyone you didn't like you could label a communist intellectuals or Chinese people or anyone like you just stick that label on them and it's like oh okay that means it's okay to kill them now so like it's yeah it's like yeah, what the Nazis did yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly so like I think you know that's that's one thing that does come across in this film that uh, like you know hey we fought the Nazis because they were bad and look like our country or France our you know mother country in that time period of colonialism is basically capable of doing something just as bad as the Nazis yeah and the, I remember uh, um, I saw I saw Gary Lockwood do a talk about model shop um, the actor from uh, Space Odyssey 2001 made this movie, Model Shop. He was talking about working with uh, Jacques Demy and Agnes Varda. He was like, yeah, they were communists, but they were like French communists. It's not the same thing. <laughs> 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 That's funny. That's funny. I mean, no, you're one of the good ones. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh... And like France got rid of the col- well, colonies, got rid of France as as much as they could. Like uh, by, by this, I think late seventies was like the kind of the end in Africa. But Portugal held on the longest. I think it was the nineteen eighty or, or eighty one when Mozambique. I think it was Mozambique. Yeah, Mozambique finally was independent from Portugal. That's too fucking late. <laughs> Sorry, seventy-five, but yeah. still, that's kind of late to be, uh, uh, you know, occupying <laughs> at the colonizing, occupying, right? Yeah. There's not a too late on any of these things. That's the problem here. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. We're, you were just talking about China, and the U.S. continues to spread. You know, we're not colonizing. We're just doing something to take away something and. 
Yeah. And to, to you guys talking about this whole communist intellectual thing, that's like something that's going on right now in the U.S. You know, as soon as they brought out the word communist, again, as if that's something to be afraid of, it's like, why are you guys all talking about these... <laughs> I guess intellectuals. Oh yeah. 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 Intellectuals definitely used. That's used by. It's definitely a word that's used by the right to dog whistle, cut communists still. So yeah, for sure. But then you know, hypocritically, just like in the U.S., um, the soldiers were accusing the Senegalese infantrymen of being indoctrinated by the Nazis and being put there to damage the quote-unquote French Empire. So whatever label is convenient for them to make the Senegalese out to be the enemy, they're going to use those words. So yeah, they don't even need to use uh, racial epithets. There's also like, some just, implication yeah. that like German internment camp treated them better than the French did. <laughs> yeah, um, Martin, I'm sure you know it's the movie poster at one point. Um, it's uh, uh, De Corbeau. The Raven. Oh, um, the Clu- the Clouseau movie. Yeah, the Clouseau film. Uh, where where was the poster? Is it, it up in was, one of the barracks or? It was when they went went to town. Uh, uh, which uh, I haven't seen it, but I know it's about like um, people spreading rumors, well, like it's the poison pen letters and like spreading rumors about people. I think. But uh, oh, the. the there's that shot like when it, it's like big on a stand right yes yeah okay i for some reason i didn't even that didn't register it wasn't i think i was reading the subtitles and it went no. over my head but uh that, that's a really good connection because yeah it's all about spreading these rumors and here it's it's also like Spencer, stop shaming the guests okay well, <laughs> sorry i, I, I like... didn't pick up every detail in this movie oh <laughs> Oh, usually that's something Martin would bring up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where are we going with this? Uh, but, uh, I just forgot. Oh, well, one line I thought was really powerful was, um, you know, near the end, uh, Captain Raymond is trying to convince um, Diada to sort of compromise and be like, look, calm down. We can negotiate with this. I'll bring your grievances to the governor, etc., and Diada kind of cuts him off and says, our right is neither discussed nor negotiated. And and walks off, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're, you're right. So I, I just thought that was a powerful moment. Yeah. That's a, he may, the Diada character is just great. Like, at first you think he's going to be trying to toe the line between what he's uh, considered proper because he's part of the French army in some some sort of authoritative position. Uh, but, like, as soon as push comes to shove, and you could say it happens after he has his shore leave or something like that, it's just like, no, this is my home. I know I have a French wife, I have a French child. Like, you're going to find me on the side of these guys. Sorry, I, I don't know why you th- thought maybe my loyalty would have changed. <laughs> I mean, he is a great example of what a sergeant is supposed to be, you know, the, the go-between between the officers and the rank and file. And in a lot of ways, he f- he functions that for the audience. You know, he's our way into to both worlds. Yeah. 
and like uh, I wrote down a line that I really liked uh, when the when it word gets back to the camp that Diada was beaten by Americans. I think it's the guy with the beard says it's fork and swan. That's fascism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they're not wrong. Uh. <laughs> and like uh, two little moments that really stuck out is at one point you see when, when they protest and with the goat meat. And that feels like, you know, a go-to slaughter uh, foreshadowing for later on. Uh, right. Yeah, and which is like, not, not to get my high horse again, but like, I, this doesn't bother me, but like, uh, El Topa with the rabbits, that's like, I don't see a point in having a hundred dead rabbits in the scene. N- neither does Yodorowsky anymore. Um, oh. There's a... On the audio commentary for El Topo, he talks about this actually in depth, where he was sort of saying, like, yeah, at the time I felt like you need to make sacrifices for art, and yada, yada. now I just look at it and I'm like, those are two dead birds. Like, so even he's hmm. like, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. Okay, that's why I haven't watched Holy Mountain. Once I heard about the frogs, I'm oh, like, the, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't need to watch. Yeah, he like recreates my... the, the conquest, the, the Spanish conquest of the yeah. Aztec with uh, frogs and lizards. Yeah, that does bum me out. It's like, I don't need to see that. I'm fine. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, but like, but so like the, the, the goat slaughter moment. And then the, uh, towards the end, you see uh, uh, a uh, cut between group of sho- group of soldiers cut to image of uh, cattle in the field. And it's very, uh, you know, like very obvious symbolism of, of, of what, you know, of what it means. Yeah. I didn't, uh, let me tell you, um, I didn't watch, you know, I'm the sensitive when it comes to animal mm-hmm. mutilation. You usually love it, from what I understand. I don't love it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I know you're watching all those faces of death videos and stuff like that. I'm not 13-year-old, I'm not a 13-year-old edgelord. I'm not going to watch faces of death. I'm too old for that all shit. Right. Well, now you are. Yeah. But yesterday. <laughs> anyway, yeah, like, I just looked away, and I didn't think, like, this was an unnecessary thing to have in the movie. And I, you know, back when I was commenting like that mm-hmm. about, um, what was that? With the turtle? The, the original movie where, <laughs> where I have was to see it? somebody slaughter Kabobo a goat. Or oh, Tukibuki? Um, oh, Tukibuki, that's right. I had told you ahead of time. Yes, but I mean that doesn't. But oh yeah, it's, but Tukibuki. No, you had not. That was the thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I mentioned it because remember. Oh god, we're gonna have to go back and talk about that. Okay, no, we're gonna anyway, Tukibuki. If you haven't seen it, has some very graphic slaughterhouse footage, and a uh, goat gets killed. But it's a reference. Oh, to that's the what movie. it was. Yeah. Now I remember. You told me about the slaughter. You didn't tell me about the goat. Okay. And it's because it didn't even occur to you. And now when I saw it in this movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, because it's the most natural thing in the world, especially for people in this country. Like, you need meat, you slaughter an animal. Like, we don't think about it. We're disconnected. Yeah. But, you know, and, and even in this, the guy who, like, refuses to kill the goat, he says, doesn't he say, I can't kill the goat, I'm a Muslim? And well, then he, he goes he and gets the guy to, who's like... They need to get the right guy to kill it, so it's um, halal. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. Uh, I know... 
I have family that's Muslim. I should know more about Islam, but like that through me for because I I I know like the basic 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 stuff and yeah, it's and the same as like it. having having something be kosher and like it needs to be done properly. So yeah, um, yeah. If if they like if it's just some random soldier kills it, it's like well now I can't eat it. So uh, Armenio, any thoughts on the animal? Um, no, I, I think you guys covered it. I think it it does a good job of you know showing the cultural differences but between the soldiers and what the the knowledge of having to navigate it because you know they get the a, a Muslim who knows how to slaughter properly, but but also you know foreshadowing for what comes next. Okay. Have you seen uh, Pookie yes. Pookie? Okay. Yeah, uh, Mimbeti also. I think he was a communist. I know he was a, he was a leftist. I don't know the, the specifically what he believes in. Cause, uh, I think Simben, Simben and Udrago, didn't they go to uh, Soviet Union? Uh, uh, Udrago, definitely. I forget if Simben studied in Soviet Union. Like on vacation? They, um, I, like, I mean, there were a lot of African students who studied in the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I have to double check if Simba yeah. did, but uh, Udrago think, definitely. Yeah. I think uh, Thomas Sankara went studying in the uh, Soviet Union. I think that's where he learned about communism. I th- uh, was it? You know, I, I don't can't remember. Because he, he became president of uh, Burkina Faso when he was like 28 years old, so maybe. Yeah, he was really young when he became president, and then the French and Reagan had him assassinated because he's dangerous. Quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he he. There's a really good short film. I forgot who directed it. It's. Now I wish I didn't delete my letterbox. So I can remember what it's called. But there's a short film. I don't know why you did it. I, I've been okay. this close to deleting my own letterbox, and it's just like, oh, I need to keep it for the lists. <laughs> it's yeah, like the one thing. But have there's a short the, film. Um, oh, a, have, go, go for it. But there's a short film by an African director from Burkina Faso that's like a superhero um, a film, and it frames Thomas Ankara, who was a. who the public loved. They voted for him to be president. And uh, they kind of like frame it as this kid's a super, it's becoming a superhero origin story thing uh, mixed with Thomas, Thomas Ankara as like he is a literal superhero for Africans because like he wanted nothing to do with the West. And so he tried to create, you know, like, uh, a, like a, a, a life free from France and free from Americans. And so he, you know, he, he's framed as a superhero. I just can't remember what the thing is called. Anyway, that's it. Have you seen the um, Lumumba biopic by Raul Peck? Uh, I have the DVD on my shelf. Okay. I was gonna watch. Yeah, I was gonna watch it this weekend, but I didn't watch any movies this weekend. I finished Horizon for Ben West. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I will get to it. I have like, 
I don't know, 80, 80 DVDs and Blu-rays I haven't watched yet. I know the feeling. Yeah, that'll keep you busy. It's <laughs> <laughs> fuel for the podcast. Yeah. Okay, so, uh... Alright, uh, uh... Okay, J-Dog, anything left that you want to uh, bring up about uh, this film? Or Simbin, or whatever we've, we talked about? No, like... I mean, just watch these, watch the movies. Um, it's funny how I—I I don't know how Zala ends. I assume not happily, but uh, the other three definitely have kind of. These it, it ends on an image you'll never forget. The <laughs> two. <laughs> the picture of the uh, guy on the grassy knoll that actually shot JFK. Why didn't anybody tell me before? Almost this? as memorable. Oh, okay. Uh, well, um, well one really striking image that I just wanted to point out. Um, there is an image, uh, a, a scene where Diada is sort of off on his own with, uh, I guess, his cousin who he was supposed to marry um, in, in his village. And they're just sort of wandering around in this desert amongst these, like, gigantic dead trees. Th- those trees are like, I don't know if it's the kind of tree that... Uh... Like it survives in dry weather, and they're like, two yeah, yeah, years old. yeah. So <laughs> they're almost like so not dead, like, but like hibernating, yeah. probably. Un- yeah, they're they're like completely yeah. dry, and they, they look almost more like uh, sculptures than. Yeah, than and so yeah. for this guy talking to one of the last survivors from his village, why he's not going to marry her, uh, it, it's a very striking image. His uncle says you can have two to three wives if you're Catholic. So, yeah, he, he does mention like, oh, we have a couple Catholics and they have yeah. two wives apiece. And there's a re- returning motif of Diada trying to get coffee for his wife in France. Like he mentions it three or four times. So uh, I'm just guessing that yeah. you know because coffee is grown in Africa and there's. Um, uh, wartime rationing, you can't get coffee in Europe, so I just thought, like, you know, it, it's such an irony that his main concern throughout the whole movie is just getting this small creature comfort to his wife, uh, and then he ends up dead. And I think that's the last image of the movie, right? The His his cousin holding that sack. Is that is that a sack of coffee? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I didn't even think, but that that's probably right, yeah. Yeah, I was too busy looking at the doll. That's funny. I wonder if the doll was like for his kid that she assumed he was yeah, going to. Yeah, I so. I don't know, maybe he collected dolls on the side. Yeah. That'd be a good reveal at the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see, for me, I think I said everything. The... Oh, I guess like every shot of the soldier who was at the what camp was it? A Buchenwald. A Buchenwald would be kind of closer to how you say it, uh, I think. Which I had to look it up beforehand because like I know like there are a lot of camps in the Czech regions. I was like, I wonder if Martin knows about I, this. I know Buchenwald. Yeah. Okay. Because I, uh, cause I remember you mentioned like. The death camps and stuff were kind of yeah. 
in, in the region, so I wonder if there's a connection to, like, Czech stuff with this movie, and it isn't, this one was in Germany. But, like, yeah, every time you see a soldier, uh, like, but every time you saw it when soldiers, like, just, like, the powerful image of this, uh, you know, this, this African with, like, a Nazi helmet, and it's just a very strange image, and, like, I, I'm, I, I'm still trying to figure out what's, like, all the things it could possibly mean, and like, it's probably more simple, but it's it's just like a strange image, like in not shock treatment. What's that other shock corridor? Right. How you have the black clansman, who is like this guy in a nut house, who, uh, you know, he says you see him. I think you see him in the hood first, and you don't see his face for a while. But I haven't seen it moving in like ten years, so I don't remember. Have you ever seen uh, the movie The Spirit, the Frank Miller adaptation of the um, Eisner comics? I remember I liked it a little bit, but it, it, that's kind of it. There's like the one scene with Samuel L. Jackson dressed like a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that movie yeah. like three times in the theater. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a slow day. <laughs> I know somebody who genuinely loves that movie. So, some some people just can't get enough Frank Miller. (laughs) You love that movie, Martin. I I enjoyed it. (laughs) That's what I'll say. I I, I wouldn't know if I necessarily loved it, but like, um, yeah, no, I thought it was cool at the time. I haven't watched it really since, but Samuel Jackson hitting a guy on the head with a toilet—it's great. It's funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. Well, I, I came out of it being like, oh, this is so funny. This kind of takes the, the piss out of like people who took Sin City seriously. And everyone was like, this isn't Sin City 2. <laughs> this movie's terrible. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> I, I and we got Sin City that. 2. We were still upset. Oh my God. Sin City yeah. 2 is, is like atrocious. But um, uh, I know one person who loves it. Who's who's wow. been on the show? And that person, <laughs> uh, it's it's Justin Harrison. You, you, don't, you don't have to. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was I, 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 was I know Justin likes it. Um, okay. If you ever watched the the behind the scenes, it's like some of the most miserable behind the scenes footage I've ever seen. Everyone looks like deeply, deeply miserable to film that movie, like all on green screens. And yeah. um, I don't know if you ever get the chance to just watch the behind the scenes, it'll make the movie make more sense. Like. Oh yeah, like this was just oh. a bad mood making this movie. Oh, uh, J Dog, you're saying something? Um, no, I don't. What was I going to say? Something I said about Justin, Justin Harrison. Oh, I was going to say like, it's because he lives in like uh, Austin, right? That's he does live he in ori- Austin. He didn't originally live in there. No, he's from like Pennsylvania, I think. I think uh, it's Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, anyway got to keep up with whatever film trends they got. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, yeah, so uh, the uh, Camp the Theroy, or Camp Theroy, the Theroy, uh, whatever, The it's available in places if you know where to look. Uh, and it's on Netflix DVD still. And since Criterion has uh, 
has done multiple Simbin movies. I'm hoping this is the next one, but I don't think it will be. I think it's probably Zala will be the next one. Has there but, been a restoration for Zala? Uh, I don't know, but... I feel like sometimes... I know with um, Black Girl, M. and Abby, they kind of announced the 4K restoration through Janus Films before the actual Criterion announcement, so I'm keeping an ear out like what the next Simbin movie is going to be. Yeah, I'm hoping to do what they do a full box set and just kind of get like the harder to get ones. Yeah, Sidhu, uh, Imitai, um Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Like Criterion has definitely gotten better with African cinema. Uh, I think it's because you said something, and I'm not joking. I think you I've said been... something about it like a couple of years ago. Oh, I, I think there's a difference like... when they like I. It's gotten back to me sometimes from these companies that like they do pay attention to people who podcast and tweet about stuff like what the interest is, what people are like talking about. Um, you know, like I've heard like it, it does make a difference when you like do a podcast on story of a three day pass. It like that stuff does kind of get back to them, but like oh, people are talking about this. Like maybe we should look into it maybe we should do something with that so yeah, it is interesting that you yeah. know like i heard i hear about story of a three-day pass on a podcast and another podcast and another podcast and a, and a movie sort of like builds in the zeitgeist and then hey it's oh, it, it's uh released on criterion so yeah i, I agree this is why i try to talk about story of a three-day pass yeah. on like five podcasts <laughs> 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 yeah, finally got, got finally got restored because I've I still I've not box set yet because I can't justify spending that much money <laughs> right now. The, but, the box uh, is so good though, like it's yeah. The, I mean, the before the that the quality like, was um, not good. Yeah, it was on DVD, but the DVD was the same transfer as the VHS, so it was basically VHS quality. But um, I know, like Vinegar Syndrome put out. Sweet, sweet bags, badass song. Yeah. And when they were doing the um, etiquette pictures, which were like a label where they're putting out like classier kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, they were supposed to do Story of a Three Day Pass like way back then. And I was excited for that. And that, I guess, never came to pass. And I think the etiquette pictures label got closed down. So I, I, I'm glad Criterion mm-hmm. picked that up and released the whole. You know, they could have just done like one of his movies but they put out all of Van Peebles movies so and like the special features are amazing That that's a good box set if anybody's like thinking about buying something in a Criterion sale like that that's a good one <laughs> that's my next one I, I, I I'm not like I feel like I'm calling people out but I'm not like I can't spend like five hundred dollars I know on people the, on will, stuff. like I see the Criterion halls and it's like I can't I can't keep up with that. Like, I, I can't buy every, like, partly it's the money, but also just, like, space. Like, at a, at a certain point, it's like, I can't own every movie, you know? i got to curate my own collection and decide what's important and what's not. And, yeah, like, I, I'm at know. the point where, like, my, my, I have one, well, two rules with Criterion. Uh, Shall I do all <laughs> in African films? And that's really my two rules with that, with it's, it's uh, Criterion. Be three women and black girl and uh, <laughs> expand it from there. Yeah, I have all the Altman ones that have Shelley Duvall in it. Yeah. She's in uh, Time Bandits. She's probably in a couple Criterion things now that I think about it. She's in Time Bandits. I should probably get that one next. But the <laughs> Scorsese is is, is uh, doing a uh, a couple African films in the next yeah, yeah, World yeah. Cinema box yeah. set. 
I've got the first three World Cinema box sets, and like, those are neat because they're kind of like a like a grab bag of international cinema and like stuff from different periods. But like, it's cool because you know you might be like, ah, well, I kind of get the, I gotta get the whole box set just to watch like Type A story. But then you like make these cool discoveries too because everything in the box that's kind of interesting and has a story behind it so I, I, I would expect that like the next uh, world cinema I think 4 got announced and I, I wouldn't be surprised if like 5 has uh, at least uh, one or two African movies in it yeah I'm still I'm still hoping they're gonna bring um, Safi Faye's films but uh, so far not she was a contemporary of Mbeti and Simben She's the second African woman to direct a film. Uh, although you can find her first film on certain websites if you know where to look. Uh, Is it the same website that you directed me to to find yes. this movie? <laughs> this, yeah. I, 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 that the website is fantastic, and yeah, uh, I'm almost, almost scared to like plug it because <laughs> I, I don't want other people to like blow it up Wait and it gets taken down. But. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to tell me this. Why? Why are you holding secrets from me? I, you told you told me about this website years ago. I don't remember what it is. Okay, I'll, I'll, we'll discuss it. In I'll a message moment. you later. It's yeah. a, it's a good place if you want to find some rare film. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got a, like a Blu-ray quality version of the ear with subtitles off of it. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. I mean, now there's a now there's a Blu-ray of the ear. I know, and you're on audio- Blu-ray. <laughs> I, I'm I'm fully aware. Get with I'm, the times. I'm just playing around. I'm not. Like, you don't have to go out and buy it. All right. Uh, okay. So, this came out in 1988, and um, yeah. So, uh, I'll have the guests go first. Um, uh, uh. J no, I can't have two J Armenio. You, you. Um, you know, like I said, I I am a novice in African film, so I've seen a few, but I so I, I really appreciate you having me on, so I can educate myself, and mm-hmm. and so it was a really great time. So thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. But I thought uh, maybe I could pair this with another movie about. Um, systemic oppression, but also with some comedy. Uh, Maniac Cop, a movie where a cop becomes a serial killer and nobody notices the difference. Uh, so, <laughs> definitely recommend uh, that. And then, um, just uh, a comic book that I think more people should read that's actually sort of undervalued is um, 1988's uh, Black Orchid by Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean. It's Neil Gaiman's oh. first published oh, I've read comic that. book. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wait. I sell. I might have sold that a few years ago. I kind of, I found it for like two bucks at a, a yard sale mm-hmm. or something. But fuck, yeah, I, I love that. It's very strange um, and about some obscure characters, and so you should seek it out and read it. Uh, yeah, David Keane was it? What band was it? He did some album art for like Jane's Addiction or one of those. Oh, he's done a lot bands. of album covers, actually. Yeah, I know. There's a, there's one in particular that I recognized the art from immediately, or style 
from immediately. That's he also has a couple. He has some great art books. He has some a couple of graphic novels. So he's he's a great, a really fascinating artist. Okay. Uh, no, anything uh, else? That's it. Uh, how about you, Martin? Um, okay, so two films from 1988 that I thought might be interesting to pair with this. Uh, one is Kevin Reynolds' film The Beast, which I think is just getting a new Blu-ray release. Uh, Kevin Reynolds, he wrote Red Dawn, but I think maybe his intent with that movie got a little bit like lost in translation with the final film. And The Beast is maybe a little bit closer to what he had in mind, where it's uh, sensibly about the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan kind of told from both a Soviet tanker's point of view, but also the Afghanis' point of view who are fighting in the Mujahideen, fighting him, fighting them. And um, it's this great kind of like grueling battle between the fighters who are chasing after this tank and the tank kind of getting worn down. And it gets into ideas like, you know, how hey, we Soviets, we, we fought the Nazis, we were on the good side, and now we're basically the Nazis. And like, getting into ideas about how, you know, maybe your nation can sometimes not always be the righteous one in a conflict, and um, trying to see things from another perspective. And I think Kevin Reynolds was trying to draw a parallel with uh, America's role in the Vietnam War and try to make people understand what it's like to be invaded and uh, just kind of exploring war from a different kind of perspective that I, I think maybe would be rewarding to pair with this film. Uh, the other film I thought might be interesting to pair this with also is The Unbearable Lightness of Being, um, Philip Kaufman's adaptation of the Milan Kundera novel, which was considered like one of these unfilmable <laughs> novels. Uh, and that's about Soviet also <laughs> invading uh, Czechoslovakia, and um, it's uh, it's a film that, it, like, in some ways, it's pretty complicated, and it's about a lot of things, relationship things. But I, I think like that connection between the delineations of society and having you know, sort of this oppressive uh, force, like a colonial force kind of affecting your life and uh, restricting what you can do and all of that. Uh, it would be kind of interesting to watch these two films side by side. Also two quite long films. I think these are both like two and a half hour films. So that would take you an entire day to probably watch Unbearable Lightness and Being and Camp Theroy back to back. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be rewarding. Who knows? All right, uh, J Dog. Ooh, let's see. Uh, where'd my list go? Oh, because I went to go look at the Simba movies. Sim, Sim, Simbin. Yes. Okay. So if I had to talk about a movie that might be related to this and came out in 1988 you said yeah okay so my sister was turned one this year another year we talked about because school days my 
still mm. I have to think about that. I was going to say it's my st still my favorite Spike Lee. It might be the most shift. fun Spike Lee. Yeah. Well, yeah. One way it is. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> You know what? I've got I've got nothing. Like, you know, it, it, here's a here's a good comparison to what we were thinking. Like um this movie is so clearly, like I said, uh obviously made by an African person about African experience, colonialization, you know, but I think anytime we've seen that kind of movie that even handles situations in that area, like black people are just loyal or they're just not, you know, background scenery or, or something like that. We're definitely not going to mention about betraying any of our own men or something. And then you have coming to America, which is uh, a different way to look at uh, an African nation or two. A fake one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have mixed Zimobu. feelings on this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got. Yeah. Anyways, it's, I don't even. I'm not, I'm not going to recommend. <laughs> I like the movie. I like the movie. Makes me laugh, but <laughs> I have complicated feelings about it. But, you know, the scene where, um, yeah, uh, Prince, whatever his name is, and, and, uh, well, anyways, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall are at that club meeting different women. And then they're, um, what does, uh, the, the woman that Arsenio Hall is playing, I think, says, I will tear you apart. And Arsenio blows up liquid out of his mouth that's i can really see the comparisons between what the french army was actually doing to you know the soldiers in this camp compared to um god damn it <laughs> nothing i'm sorry that's fine phantasm 2 it's an excellent sequel oh, to yeah. the first phantasm movie my favorite of the phantasms I stopped that. Mm -hmm. I stopped that three. I don't know if I should go any further. Part five is pretty upsetting. Oh, and not not like in a not like a in a this is a sad movie upsetting, but like in a oh boy, yeah, well, really just scraped together things. Uh, I could say that about John dies at the end, but also I love that book, so I'm very biased against. <laughs> like any adaptation, I have a very specific vision in my mind of what it is. Yeah. Also, you hate Paul Giamatti, is that right? That's the second movie where he says nigger, actually. Oh. Uh, if there's a third one, it's a, it's a genre. <laughs> what, what What was the first one? He's in 12 Years a Slave. Oh, he is. I forgot he's in that. Everyone's in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I completely Delahunt. forgot he was in that. <laughs> yeah, Garrett Delahunt from uh, Raising Hope is the white guy who's a, who's a slave who rats out um, Solomon Northup. He's huh. a, he's on Justified. He played like a like a sniper or some shit. Later. Yeah, he's a, a yeah, I know reliable that. creep. Remember Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Fassbender, and then Brad Pitt at the end of the movie is Jesus. Yeah. And the the, the book is interesting. I have complicated feelings on it. The book is, yeah. I mean, 
not to like start up a, another podcast topic, but like it's interesting that the book it's uh, maybe got a second author in the form of the editor who had other kind of interests and yeah, it, it other, really shows. other motivations which are like I think made it into the film without the filmmakers really like scrutinizing that. So yeah, it yeah it, it's still important, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's there's stuff about it that's interesting to look into. All right, so for me to recommend, uh, first off, uh, no, I'll end on a goofy one. Uh, first, Story of Women. It's a Claude Gibral film. I recently bought it. Uh, I think a Korean DVD. I forgot, uh, but it's great. I love Claude Gibral. It stars my favorite, uh, one of my favorite actresses, Isabelle Huppert. And it has uh, Marie Trintignant, who is Jean Louis' daughter. Who, if you want to ruin your day, you read about how she how she died. It's deeply upsetting. And it's, it's been almost twenty years since she died, actually, too. But yeah, it's a very <laughs> fucked up situation of what happened. What? I'm okay. Yeah, you can just <laughs> yeah don't don't get too curious, <laughs> but uh. Story, Story Women, uh, great film. Uh, Marie Trintignant, haven't seen her in much, but uh, she sure she should have, uh, you know, should, should still be alive today. But uh, yeah, any. Uh, what else is other one? Those whom feared, yeah, those whom death refused, by Flora Gomes. It's a Guinea. Where is it? Bisu film I got from the New York Film Festival website I forgot which which site but there's a couple places with a lot of African films that quality's not great it's only DVDs but uh, it's kind of the only place that you can get these and it's kind of about the uh, how Bisu, I think it's Genibisu, uh became independent and it keeps going it's actually it's about these people who are involved in the movement and oh, it's, their uh, lives. It has another title, uh, Mortu Mega, I guess. Also. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's great necessarily, but I do think it's very good. I think it might be on because uh, there's a lot of African. YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of African films on um, Vimeo, too. You just have to kind of, it's kind of with Indian films, you kind of just have to know like what the titles are to actually you know, find them, which kind of sucks. So it's harder to get find. Okay, my last one. Uh, it's known I'm an action movie guy, and JCVD is my guy. This is your nice. Bloodsport. Bloodsport rules. I've never seen the sequels because JCVD is not in them, so I'm not interested. But, uh,. Yeah, Bloodsport he doesn't make a cameo appearance. At least one of them. He might. I don't know, but uh, it's like Mortal. It's basically like the closest to Mortal Kombat, the game. Yeah, it's the best Mortal Kombat movie. adaptation. Yeah. Supposedly based on a on a true story, which is not at all true. It's um, pretty great cast, though. You got uh, Forrest Whitaker, Bolo Young. Uh, that's a good. Yeah. It's yeah. that's an actual good movie. Uh, yeah. But the, yeah, the guy, uh, Frank Dukes, I think his mm-hmm. name is. Yeah, that's him. Uh, 
He just like yeah. made up a life story and like, complete fraud. It yeah. Biography. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. That's pretty good. I think somebody needs to be, make a biopic about like the real Frank Dukes um, selling this movie. I, I think it's too interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, oh, and I heard an interview with uh, Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, I think a year or two ago where she talked about doing the Tiger Claws movies with Bolo Young and she said about him is uh, he's kind of soft like he doesn't like full contact when filming a scene like he had he asked her to go easy which uh, goes against what how I perceived him I mean some some actors when you're doing those action scenes uh you, you don't want to get an injury and you don't want to like i i get it like i'm not yeah i i wouldn't think less of polo young for yeah not wanting to go all out like filming an action scene the guy still looks like he could yeah. rip me in half yeah. So, yeah. especially you know? like yeah. the nature of filmmaking yeah, is well, you might be doing this action scene 15 times today so you don't want to go yeah yeah it's <laughs> true especially like but like, I wouldn't I, want to I, get like a permanent injury filming like Tiger Claws too, like some Canadian action movie. Like I'm, I'm yeah. good. You know? I, I, I don't resent that. <laughs> I mean, that is valid. But like Cynthia talked about the difference between like the safety safety measures in Hong Kong versus yep. U.S. And I hear, hearing her say it like Bolo was kind of like soft compared to like some of the other like people she's been paired with yeah. in fights like was like oh maybe he went to america so he wouldn't have to go like as hard well it's like um i mean like bruce lee when he talked to, uh, i heard stunt people i guess talking about the difference between like working in hong kong versus uh hollywood and he had like bruce lee who had a hard time basically like not hitting stunt guys for real and people kind of <laughs> resented him for that because he was used to like you know, working in that Hong Kong style where, like, you would actually make contact and sometimes yeah. people would get hurt, but you make it look real and, uh, you know, and then, you, like, you compare it to, like, you know, Hollywood working on stuff like Green Hornet where there used to be these, like, Hollywood stunt guys getting a fake punch and going flying, you know, it, it's, like, a very different kind of approach. Um, yeah. So. yeah. Cynthia was tougher than I expected, yeah. but Hong Kong was also crazy, so, like, if she could survive that, yeah, that makes sure. But I, about off. Bruce Lee, I do have oh, to wonder how much of that was Hollywood stunt guys pushing around this little Chinese guy. Pro, like, I, there's probably an element of that too. Like, I don't know. I, I still feel like th- there's something like really mean in that um, the, the Tarantino yeah. film where it has like, I bet Bruce, uh, I bet, uh, I bet I could create a fictional stunt yeah, and we kick yeah. his ass like i'm like what is this you know i, I yeah. feel like there's some kind of i i don't know what going on psychologically but <laughs> there's a something going on yeah and uh, the whole response of bruce lee's daughter bringing up a problem and tarantino yeah. being like fuck you you're wrong it's like okay like, <laughs> real mature what did what did the grog <laughs> what did the ghost of bruce lee do to you tarantino like why are you like uh, it's his. It's Bruce Lee's daughter, for fuck's sake! It's not some random weirdo on internet. But you would think also, like, I don't know, like, not that I particularly like Tarantino or anything like that. But like, if you look at like Kill Bill, you think you would be like way more reverent of Bruce Lee. I'm not sure where this kind of 
Yeah, it's because he's, he's talked really passionately about seeing kung fu movies and grindhouses and how much he loves this, and he can talk about it endlessly. And for him to have such antipathy for Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon in particular, it's, it's. It, is it because like Bruce Lee is, I, is I, popular? I, like I, I don't know where it's coming from. Like no, no, no. The the answer is is he's friends with those stuntmen, you know, like even with the you were talking about Kill Bill, like back then he was probably friends with all these uh, uh, Hong Kong action stunt people that would tell stories, and then you know we became more into uh, American ones. I mean, he probably had conversations with all these guys who worked on all these movies that you know he thought how need them stuff or whatever. <laughs> But you, I would still think like it's even, just like yeah, I'm gonna believe their stories over yeah. yours, Jack. But like also listen? like the stories you hear, like like I think Jackie Chan got his nose broken by Bruce Lee filming Enter the Dragon, and he talks about it like yeah, like he was lucky to get his nose broken. Like wow, like Bruce, no, Bruce I, Lee broke my nose. I've heard him like, tell cool that he that? pretended. <laughs> He got his nose broken just so he could get like more time to hang out with Bruce Lee. Like, oh, it, it hurt me so much, Bruce. Right, right. <laughs> I just played it up. No, I, I, yeah, that, I think that's the real version. I misremembered, but like, yeah, like, like I, I don't uh, know. I, yeah, like, like to add some uh, like uh, credit towards like the Tarantino thing being <laughs> bullshit uh, is that um. Terry Funk, I think it was Terry Funk, uh, he's a wrestler, he is a stunt guy, too, who worked in Hollywood for a long time, he, has, no, is it Terry Funk, I can't remember who it is, it's one of the older guys, but like, a r- rough and tumble dude, and he actually knew Bruce Lee, and like, it, and if uh, the Bruce Lee thing of him being like, fake and blah blah like that was, were real, that would have been a known thing, like, among, with, with the wrestling community, and therefore would probably translate into, like, well, people would know the stories. I can't remember who that guy is. He's in Roadhouse. It's oh, fucking uh, name. Maybe it's Terry it Funk I'm I thinking of. But also, like, Tarantino, I feel like... like is it? There's yeah, also I'm this not, element I'm... of, like... Do, do you remember when Mark Wahlberg said that, like, 9-11 wouldn't have <laughs> happened if he was on the plane. I feel like watching some of Tarantino's kind of historical revision movies, there's like an element of that, like, well, if my characters went back in time, they would have killed Hitler. Like, it's just that simple. Like, you know, if, if my if my character went back and, you know, he, he would have kicked Bruce Lee's ass. Like, I feel like there's some kind of that thing in there where, you know, you, you kind of discount the reality of the situation sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm one of those people didn't assume that this, the that part of the movie was based on like a real thing that had happened and stuff, man. I like that's that's definitely a white man fantasy, and somebody older being like, yeah, I could have taken Bruce Lee. Yeah, that, that's exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> and he would have got his crack his head cracked open if <laughs> that had actually happened. I can't remember who the wrestler is, but uh, it's someone who's been around for a long time. Yeah. Is Brutus the Barber Beefcake? Uh, but like I know in, in wrestling, like no. there is might be. there is contact and you get hit, but like it's also a little bit of a no-no to go like all out and hurt people for real or do things that you know could yeah. get somebody hurt. Like um, yeah, if there was do, some story get... about the the Ultimate Warrior, like. 
<laughs> being oh, a jerk, basically in the yeah. ring, and like Andre the being Giant racist. just like stuck his arm <laughs> out, and just, like, <laughs> yeah, just like uh, clotheslined Ultimate Warrior, just to basically put him in his place because he was, you know, yeah, that, that, that's he was the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yeah, Did you know he legally changed his name to Ultimate Warrior? Oh yeah, yes. Because he thought it would give him control over the the trademark, I think, or the copyright, which it, it didn't. But it was like, I'll legally <laughs> change my name to Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, uh, <laughs> Jeff. No, no, wait, what? That's not a last name. Yeah, he had a crazy, uh, crazy name like Jim Hellberg or something <laughs> like that. I'm not even somebody like who like follows name. wrestling, but I, I just find like the yeah. Ultimate Warrior like he's such a joke that it's kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, it is until you realize how much of a dick he was. Like, okay, I I don't really, I I lost all all interest and respect for him. Yeah, yeah, he, he's not I, I just knew he cool face paint. Yeah, he looks cool, but that's it. He, that's it. He he's he was yeah. shitty at wrestling too. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so um, the yeah, so that that went longer than I expected. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't forget you that Joel this time, so you did get to recommend something, sort yeah. of. Of course, did you do yours? Yes, I did. Okay. Of those whom fear death, blood sport, and the oh yes. story of women. Right. Has some French, fucking French title. I can't remember. <laughs> French is a bullshit language. <laughs> oh boy! Wow, this movie's got you fired up. Montpellier, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So coming up for me, uh, I'll be quick. I just recorded a movie from hell on Tron Roland because Heather Drain is doing a a a, 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 a guest thing. Join uh, join those two talking about Tron Roland shit for I don't know uh, for until they run out. I guess. I don't, it's movies from hell. I don't know how long they're they're gonna go for, but uh, I was on one that went for three <laughs> hours, maybe. It was a long was, time. Oh, but that, that, that's. Uh, I mean, if you're wrong with Bradley, like sometimes you'll take these tangents, which yeah, you'll never know where you're gonna go. You could be yeah, talking but, about like Bolo Young for thirty minutes. You don't even know. It's like being lost in the graveyard in uh, <laughs> Iron Rose. He going going around for yeah. It. Yeah, for it's sure. a yeah. lot of fun actually. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna. I won't listen to it. It's <laughs> <laughs> being there is is enough. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, and I recorded Grind Ben on um, Cyberjack, aka Virtual Assassin. Die Hard meets uh, Die Hard meets Blade Runner meets RoboCop, starring Michael Dudikoff and Brian James in the in a mid-90s action movie. And it's... If you don't like that shit, don't watch it. If you do like it, watch it. It, it will not change your mind on on, on the mid-90s uh, uh, direct-to-video action. And I have a thing on Grumpire I'm working on. thing for Grumpire I'm working on right now. That's hopefully... Uh, I'm getting, getting close to finishing up. So who knows awesome. yeah, when it'll come up. J Dog, you got some. Uh, yeah. I mean, no. I've got this like thing that Martin Kessler was on where he was talking about some 
George Lucas movie. I, it wasn't that, you know, I got rid of it. I threw it in the trash. And, uh, no, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to get my episodes released. Please don't send me in outer space. As soon as I am mentally able to, you know, not physically able to, because I've been physically able to since I did the recordings, but mentally, I've still got this block where I'm like, Surely my friends are going to call me and rejoin me any minute now. Like, no, Joel, you don't even live in the same state anymore. It's a sad story. Why am I going into this? Anyways, look forward to new episodes of Please Don't Send Me In Our Space. That's it. Okay. What about our other show? Well, why do I have to advertise that? So there's this show called Shoot the Piano Player, and oh. if you want to wa- you want to hear about that movie... Okay. Oh, you're talking about the Arbitrary Indiscriminate Movie Podcast. Yeah. Well, the problem with advertising that move, that show is that okay. you might go on there and listen to the, you know, there's like a dozen plus episodes, which is pretty good, considering we record once every month and a half, if we're lucky. <laughs> it's not, yeah, come on. And there is no, there's no order, rhyme, reason to any of those, except for the David Spade month, because we decided to celebrate somebody who is rarely celebrated, Mr. David S-Word. But the rest of the time, we just watch all kinds of random stuff. I mean, um... The next one recording is a wrestling episode. Right. And we were supposed to record one tomorrow on the person we were just talking about, a, a, a documentary, and you can't see me doing quotation marks, about Bruce Lee. That happened to come out the same year that Brandon Lee died, so I think you know what it's going to be about. Yeah. But, yeah. The... Uh, John? Arbitrary indiscriminate medical podcast. There's a Patreon, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, stuff coming out. Me and... Scott Thoreau of Zebras in America are working on a spiritual movie podcast that's going to be called Popcorn Eschaton. So we have movies on, or episodes on Last Temptation of Christ, um, Everything is Illuminated, and Menasha. And um, we're going to be doing another one here pretty soon. So we're going to bank a couple more episodes and then put those out. Um, and I'm on uh, Twitter at Quasar Sniffer if you want to yell at me for any of my dumb opinions. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have dumb opinions. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't heard all those opinions yet. Share your dumb opinions with us. Mm. Okay, Kessler, uh, you're always working on something, it seems like. Yeah, um, just follow me on Twitter at Movie Kessler. I'll update you with all the cool stuff I'm up to. Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh yeah, uh, that's it, J Dog, shut it down. Shut it down. The show can be found on Twitter at piano player pod. Our email is still high at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art, sarahkathleenroberts.com. And thank you for listening.